Kiyunde Holes presents The Sea Report with Mr. C. That's me. And this is The Sea Report for Friday, February 12th, 2021. Good evening and welcome to the late edition of The Sea Report here for Friday, February 12th, 2021. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am your host, Mr. C, and I hope everyone is having a great time tonight. I know I am today. I thank you all for tuning in. If you are um, picking up this podcast, uh, it seems like um, it seems like it is it, it, it seems like the podcast is is relatively being picked up within within relative moments of the the uh, report going down um so if you do get to hear this report thank you very much for joining us and also for hanging out with us on a friday night you know because what else are we gonna do but hang out with the sea report on a friday evening um so we do have some headlines for this evening um, we have a full report for tonight. Like I said, a full report. So let's see how, let's see where this goes. We have some good things going on. We had the impeachment, of course. The, uh, impeachment. As you can see now, very, very well, by the way, Trump's, uh, lawyer team, um, handled their side of the story you know between caster and shown caster finally uh you know pulling in some moxie to uh deliver you know what i would have considered a very cavalier death drop (laughs) Or, or or should i say mic drop not death drop sorry bruce caster is not a drag queen but um, getting getting into some of this uh, this news with the impeachment, uh, as always, Trump leads at the Sea Report. Um, more evidence is coming about about just about more things because the Dems have been caught on several lies, as Trump's team brought out. Even in their tweets, were manufactured. Like, what is up with that? Like. If you you can't even if you have to manufacture a tweet, are you really telling the truth? You know what I mean? Like, are you really telling the truth if you have to manufacture a tweet for crying out loud? Let the record reflect that the tweet was manufactured. Now, this headline here. U.S. prosecutors, former FBI official, Navy intel officer, key figure in capital breach. This from Just the News. Now, this says uh, federal prosecutors say Thomas Caldwell plotted months in advance working with self-styled militia groups, including Proud Boys. So here you have another example Another example that goes to show that this was not Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol, 
the pictures that the people that you all saw in the media of people at the Capitol were not thousands of armed uh, Trump supporters and protesters. That is not what you were seeing. What you were seeing were people there with their families, with their friends, talking shop, comparing notes, singing hymns, uh, singing the anthem, um, you know, obviously shouting and chanting at some points, none of them armed. People on the Capitol building, people on the scaffolding were doing much the same. The violence that was shown, I don't know when that happened. I honestly think that happened before 2 p.m. But anyways, uh, getting back to this article again from Just the News, uh, it says U.S. prosecutors alleged Thursday that a former FBI official and Navy intelligence officer before the January 6th Capitol breach organized a group of trained fighters and was in contact with self-styled militia groups, including the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, and Three Percenters, making him a key figure in the federal probe into the incident. I pause. Now, if anybody is familiar with anything that I have said or... You know, if you're familiar with the the Mr. C world um, of podcasting, you will note that I have said since January 6th that the Proud Boys may have been involved in a false flag. And I have also said that they may have been infiltrated. And to that end, I have also said that where it was not Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol... It was far-left Antifa, BLM, and far-right, possibly including the Proud Boys themselves, whom I think may have been infiltrated by CIA or FBI as part of a false flag. So this article kind of only goes to support that. Now, back to the article. The revelations emerged as prosecutors asked a federal judge to detain Thomas Edward Caldwell, pending trial, according to the Washington Post. The allegations appeared to provide further evidence that the deadly siege was coordinated and planned months in advance. A police officer and one person who breached the U.S. Capitol building died as a result of the siege. As Congress attempted to certify the 2020 presidential election for Democrat, thank you, Joe Biden. Now I am going to pause there again because the police officer did not die because of the Capitol siege. Because it has since been debunked that a police officer, was it like Sick Nick, died not of um, uh, a head, a head, a head wound from a uh, fire extinguisher but in fact they say at the very least a stroke and uh, the uh, autopsy has uh, been withheld from review at this time and point as port reported in another in another C report 
now. Prosecutors allege the 66-year-old Caldwell used his military and law enforcement experience to plan an assault weeks ahead of the siege, including possible snipers and ferrying a cache of weapons along the Potomac River. Caldwell of Berryville, Virginia, is charged on counts of conspiracy, obstructing an official proceeding, trespassing, destruction of government property, and aiding and abetting the post um uh the post also reports the prosecutors the prosecutors in making their case to keep caldwell behind bars alleged he hosted members of the oath keepers at his virginia home and messaged such groups caldwell's lawyer thomas k plofchen jr didn't address the new allegations in the government brief when reached by the post but reasserted his client's innocence he also said the prosecutors didn't address the two issues pending before the court whether his chief whether his client is a flight risk or a danger to the community so pretty interesting here so how could you possibly say here that Trump incited a riot when someone was already planning to breach the Capitol the day of the Capitol breach. So you have this guy, you have this guy, what's his name? Uh, John Sullivan, disavowed BLM community member and uh, far left uh, activist. I call him an Antifa guru, not because he is associated with the group specifically, but because he does sell merchandise. He does he does sell hardware. He sells clothes. He sells things that people use riot gear. He sells riot gear and and he, he has videos and classes that teaches people how to riot. He turns LARPing into real life for these uh, poor individuals, these poor unfortunate souls. These Antifa people. I call them, I call them, I call them Morlocks. I should be nice. Okay. But yeah, so you have this going on here with, uh, with, uh, this former FBI official. He's uh, a Navy Intel officer breaching the Capitol. All this way. He was planning to bring a revolution down the Potomac River. Like, what's up with that? As some would say. I'm just like... I'm just... (laughs) I am just so... Bamfed. With giddiness. From the revelations this story brings whenever they try and say Trump incited the riot. I remember being there walking towards the Capitol and there's this guy on the ground and this is before crossing the street from the National Mall onto the Capitol grounds and he's just yelling get to the Capitol! We have to get to the Capitol! Everyone get to the Capitol! And he was wearing army fatigues and that's about as specific as anything I can say I can remember other than that he was tall and Caucasian and, or he seemed Caucasian and uh, he, was, he was pointing towards the Capitol and yelling get to the Capitol and then I remember just walking and I was also broadcasting at the same time while this was going on by the way and um, uh, while I was walking forward as I got closer to the Capitol as I was on the Capitol grounds walking from uh, across the street where they have like that uh, that uh, 
you know, that, that, that round circle roundabout. And then, you know, you cross the street and then there's like the, the gates or the bridge and you can just walk down and in. And like, uh, there was a guy and he was on a bullhorn and he was standing on a statue with several people on statues on this statue and he was saying get to the capital you need to get to the capital he was like everyone to the capital and oh but he was wearing like a suit and a tie and he had glasses on and i was like i should have photographed him so i could like find it i should have photographed everyone to find out who these people are like everyone that i noticed because like like i i have to say and i do apologize i do apologize to the q a holes audience for this i have to say Crossing paths with the QAnon shaman may have been an, a missed opportunity. May have been a missed opportunity had I not been revering Mr. Y. Anyways, let me get back to the news. I am just talking too much here. Let me get back to the news. As I was going to say, uh, this story does make me giddy when I think about how they're just going to acquit President Donald Trump in the light of the fact that... Uh, he did not incite this riot into the capital at all. But it does not make me as giddy as the story that is to come. So, speaking about the impeachment, and we're kind of talking about the performance of the impeachment managers we're talking about the performance of the trump lawyer team um we're talking about what they're saying what they're doing how they're presenting presenting themselves and really i would be embarrassed if i were the impeachment manager team and in fact i am quite embarrassed for san antonio joaquin castro why is it that San Antonio always gets the worst representation? Am I one to speak? <laughs> God, let me know at the Sea Report how you feel on that topic. But, you know, Joaquin goes up there and just makes a fool of San Antonio. Makes everyone in San Antonio either look stupid or devious. And, and certainly patronizing and pompous. Um, but then to go on and, and make an assumption that there was no such thing as voter fraud by saying that, you know, he lost all his uh, trials uh, in the courts, which is not even true. Um, that there's no such thing as voter fraud. That's ridiculous. So I had to dig up this story. Um, and and in fact, this story is not too is not is not too long ago. It's it's relatively new, actually, Mister Castro. Joaquin voter fraud is indeed real. And um, for those of you who know Project Veritas, I mean, if you don't know Project Veritas, all I have to say is what hole has your head been in all this time? I mean, really, the foxhole, they say, it can be a lonely time. You don't want to be in the foxhole alone. 
The story is from the San Antonio Express News. San Antonio woman arrested on election fraud charges based on Project Veritas video. San Antonio woman arrested on election fraud charges based on Project Veritas video. A former San Antonio campaign worker was arrested Wednesday and charged with election tampering, the state attorney general's office announced. The allegations surfaced last fall after the conservative activist group Project Veritas posted an edited video of the woman, Raquel Rodriguez, in which she appeared to be helping an elderly person fill out a mail-in ballot form and discussing unlawful tactics, including assisting people at the polls. The video included only snippets of what appeared to be multiple conversations, and it was not clear who Rodriguez believed she was speaking to or under what context. Attorney General Ken Paxton, a Republican, said in a statement that his office reviewed dozens of hours of unedited footage and that Rodriguez says at one point that she knows her actions are illegal. The charges, all felonies, could result in up to 20 years in prison. This is a victory for the election integrity and a strong signal that anyone who attempts to defraud the people of Texas, deprive them of their vote, or undermine the integrity of elections uh, will be brought to justice, Paxton said. Rodriguez did not immediately respond to her request for comment, and it was not clear whether she had an attorney. In October, she posted on Facebook that the group had approached her saying it represented an anonymous candidate with money looking for help in a future city council race. I immediately suspected something was wrong with this conversation, Rodriguez said, adding, I chose to continue the conversation and play along in order to discover the source and gather my own evidence that I could submit to legal authorities. Paxton has routinely targeted election fraud while in office, an issue that he and other conservatives contend is um, widespread despite no evidence. In September, researchers at Stanford University concluded that a video project Veritas released about Democrat U.S. Representative Ilhan Omar's campaign was likely part of a coordinated disinformation effort. This is a developing story. So, Mr. Joaquin, in your own backyard, Mr. Joaquin Castro of the Castro Twins, the Bozo Passaround Boys of Washington, D.C., via San Antonio, via Condios Gway, because in your own backyard, you have voter election fraud and yet you can embarrass yourself and the people of San Antonio and stand there in the well of the Senate and embarrass us before the nation impeaching a president who is not even sitting in the house thanks to the optics of the legacy media that has allowed your president the illegitimate president, Joe Biden, to sit in the supposed White House. Thank you, Joaquin Castro, 
Just so you know, I did not vote for you. Now, here is another one. Here's another one. We just decided to go a little bit deeper. I was having fun tonight, y'all. And I was like, okay, well, let's see. If we're gonna, if we're gonna, if we're gonna spoil... If we're gonna, if we're gonna, spo- well, what would this be? Because the land in San Antonio is already spoiled with swamp. But let's see how much swamp we can get out of San Antonio. I was like, well, what if we're gonna do it? Well, let's not. Ju- let, why not? Let's just do this on air, right? So here's another one from the San Antonio Express News from Miss Elizabeth Zavala. Hey, Elizabeth, we just got you some national coverage. Candidate sues San Antonio woman who appears in secretly recorded Project Veritas video. So now we have someone, someone who is just so hard up for what... I almost said hard up for Joaquin Castro. We have someone who is so hard up to protect the individual... That this individual was recording? Because Lord knows, hmm, maybe this is the candidate that hired the lady to swap the ballots. Or to, uh, I'm sorry, not to swap the ballots, to uh, to uh, illegally, to uh, engage in illegal activities of bal- ballot harvesting and other illegal election activities. Oh, hmm. Well, let's see, who was it? Let's see, who was it? The article says, A Republican candidate for chief justice of the Fourth Court of Appeals is suing a woman who worked for her campaign after she appeared in a secretly recorded video released this week by a conservative activist group. Raquel Rodriguez, who did political jobs for several candidates, was recorded telling an interviewer that she was being paid to collect absentee ballots in Bear County. Former Judge Renee Yanta filed a lawsuit for Friday morning in civil district court accusing Rodriguez of defamation for telling the Project Veritox operatives that she had judges in her pocket who were paying her for her services. The video released Tuesday by Project Veritas is the subject of an investigation by the Texas Attorney General's office because it shows Rodriguez apparently discussing unlawful campaign tactics and at one point shows her helping an elderly woman fill out her absentee ballot. Okay, I'm going to stop there because... Because... Basically, the woman filming is a whistleblower. Former Judge Renee Yanta has filed this pursuit, this uh, lawsuit claiming that Raquel Rodriguez, who is the woman who um, has committed the felony of vote harvesting, she's suing Raquel for defamation. Because Raquel said that she had judges who were paying her for her services to get these votes. These, uh, they were paying her to do these vote things. So is Judge Renee Yanta then suing Raquel to silence Raquel from speaking about who paid her? Hmm. 
Let's read. The video released Tuesday by Project Veritas is the subject of an investigation by the Texas Ger- Attorney General's office because it shows Raquel Rodriguez apparently discussing unlawful campaign tactics. The video did not describe who Rodriguez believes she's speaking to. It included parts of what appear to be multiple conversations. Project Veritas frequently has been accused of deceptive editing and previous stings, which usually targets liberal actors or causes. Period. Okay, wait. Okay. I'm going to have to turn this over now. I'm sorry, Elizabeth Zavala. Did you have to say that, Elizabeth Zavala? You made me holla. Elizabeth, I will now turn this article over to Project Veritas. So this way they can get you on the... um... (laughs) They're going to get you on the llama show. All right, Elizabeth Zavala, (laughs) you will be on the Llama Show coming up soon for Project Veritas. And when it does, I will let everyone here at Q&A Holes Project know because everybody knows that uh, Project Veritas does not edit previous footage in stings. That's just not their style. That's just not what they do at Project Veritas. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay, okay, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, you've said enough, Elizabeth. You've said enough, but let's go on. Hopefully you don't say any more. Okay. The video identifies Rodriguez as a consultant for Mauro Garza, the Republican challenger to U.S. Representative Joaquin Castro, Democrat, San Antonio. Garza said in an email Tuesday that he welcomed an investigation and said Rodriguez was a volunteer who no longer worked on his campaign. He gave no reason for her departure. In the video, as she is being questioned about what she does, Rodriguez can be seen boasting that she has four judges calling her, apparently for petition signature gathering services. She names Yanta and attorney Nicole Garza the Democrat candidate for the 37th Civil District Court bench as in her pocket and who would owe her. So between me and you, I've got four judges that are calling me right now. They're like, we want to be part of this group. So if we pay you 3,500 each, that's like 12 grand dude paying me 3,500 to make sure their name is on the ballot. Shortly after the video came out with Tuesday, Rodriguez posted a letter on her Facebook page that stated she lied and knew there was something wrong with conversations but continued to play along to discover the source and gather evidence to submit legal authorities. The elderly lady was her aunt, she said, accusing Project Veritas of invading their privacy. Rodriguez did not say whether she submitted any details to law enforcement. She has not returned voicemails or text-seeking comments. In the statement released late Thursday, Garza adamantly disputed Rodriguez's characterizations. I can tell the allegations she made regarding me are wholly untrue, the statement said. I am deeply troubled by the notion that someone could simply make a false statement about me 
or anyone else on video, and that no one would take the time to ask whether the allegations were true. Yanta, who lost re-election to the 150th Civil District Court in 2018, said Friday that she has never harvested absentee ballots or paid anyone to do it. She lied, Yanta said of Rodriguez. It breaks my heart, obviously, because some people rush to judgment. According to campaign finance reports, Rodriguez has done work for other politicians whose names she drops in the video, including State Senate Pete Flores, represent, uh, uh, State Senator Pete Flores, Republican Pleasanton, and Liz Campos, a Democrat candidate for Texas House District 119. Attempts to reach Flores and Campos late Friday were unsuccessful. So, yes, these are people that we're all going to have to keep an eye on in Texas, apparently. And I was going to say anyone who is a Democrat, yes, we would probably have to keep an eye on them anyways. Liz Campos, but now Republican of Pleasanton, you're very close to Texas because, you know, in Texas, there's what they call the I-35 corridor. And that is really the only Democrat part of Texas besides the inner cities, the major inner and the major big cities like the inner cities. Those are Democrat, obviously. But everything else is is um, is basically, you know, Republican. And even up in Austin, most of it is Republican. But there is still that core city part that is Democrat. And, uh, you know, to see that to be the case that Senator Pete Flores, we're going to have to keep an eye on you, this Yanta lady. And uh, let's see, there was another name that was named in here that we're going to have to take a look at. Nicole Garza, Democrat attorney. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to see what's going on with you guys besides Mr. Joaquin Castro. I already kind of got a sniff out on Castro. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't mean like a Joe Biden sniff, by the way. But in another place, in another time, I might not have minded. All right, let me get on away from that. Okay, so let's see here. Moving right along, dig-a-dung, dig-a-dung. Uh, let's see here. This is uh, quite, the, quite the article in regards to Yanta. And uh, how she says, but really, if this woman didn't think she was uh, being filmed, why would she lie? You know, unless she was just dropping names to impress Abuelita. I don't think that, you know, this woman is lying. I think this woman is telling the truth. And she had someone in her car who went undercover and did something brave and reported it to Project Veritas, who then got it on the news and then got it into the hands of uh AG Ken Paxton and the governor of Texas and they went ahead and prosecuted this woman it said for almost up to 20 years and now Yanta wants to sue because she has been named in this well I mean good for Yanta for fighting back if it didn't happen good for Yanta but then we still have these other yo-yos who are appearing in this story as well so Elizabeth Zavala I'm gonna go ahead and submit this story to you to Project Veritas if someone hasn't done so already, and we're going to get that sent right over. Okay, so Dems next plot against Trump if Senate impeachment trial fails. That's what's coming. So. 
So what do you think will happen if Trump gets acquitted and they just throw this whole impeachment out? Like, do you think he will just go on and ride off into that good night and pull some political strings from the distance? Do you think the Dems will just go on their merry way and start to take care of America as unto their duty, as the people who believe in them are expecting them to do as they should? Don't forget, they serve us. So never assume that we have to do as they say as per their authority. Their authority comes from us. Because it is our desire that they enact. These people who believe in the Democrats are waiting for them to do that job. But they are so not concerned with the optics of anything. And really that's why the Trump administration took so long to lay that rockabalboa five punch in the face of the Russian giant head. And... Well, what do you think they'll do? Comment below in the Speaker Box comic box. Or go to QNAholespodcast.com and send us over a message. Send it to the C Report. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. In the meantime, this article from FrontPageMag.com says, Dems next plot against Trump if Senate impeachment trial fails. From Joseph Klein... With the Senate impeachment trial underway that is virtually certain to end in acquittal, the Democrats are already planning their next move against Donald Trump. They are looking to use an obscure clause in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution written in the aftermath of the Civil War and aimed at disqualifying ex-Confederate rebels from public office to bar Trump from holding any future public office. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment allows for the disqualification of individuals from holding federal or state office who both previously, one, took an oath to support the U.S. Constitution as a federal or state government legislator or officer, and two, then shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. The Democrats leading the charge on the 14th Amendment gambit include Senators Tim Kaine of Virginia, Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, and Dick Durbin of Illinois, along with Representatives Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida and Steve Cohen of Tennessee. They are being advised by leftist academics who believe that Congress has the unilateral power to pass a joint resolution invoking the 14th Amendment's unilateral power to pass a joint resolution invoking the 14th Amendment's disqualification provision against Trump. As far as the Trump haters are concerned, it is perfectly all right to put aside due process and fundamental fairness so long as Trump is barred from holding public office ever again. The Democrats' unconstitutional Senate show trial is bad enough. The House's lead impeachment manager 
has even gone so far as to suggest that Trump's refusal to testify be used as an inference of guilt, precisely the opposite of the presumption of innocence and the Fifth Amendment's protection against self-incrimination. Good job, Joaquin Castro. Take away our Fourth Amendment right while you're at it. But even that is not enough for the Trump haters. Assuming the likely outcome of acquittal in the Senate impeachment trial on the incitement of insurrection charge, the Democrats want to further upend the Constitution by taking another bite at the apple. This time, they want to do so by majority vote of both Democrat-controlled chambers under a perverted reading of the 14th Amendment. They have one insurmountable problem. The Constitution includes a specific provision prohibiting bills of attainder. Article 1, Section 9, Paragraph 3. Bills of attainder have been described by the Supreme Court as legislative acts. No matter what their form that apply either to named individuals or to easily ascertainable members of a group in such a way as to inflict punishment on them without a judicial trial. The court explained that the rationale for prohibiting such bills of attainder in a case that dealt specifically with the statute barring certain individuals Congress deemed guilty of subversive activities from ever engaging in any federal government work except as jurors or soldiers. Those who wrote our Constitution well knew the danger inherent in special legislative acts. Special Legislative Acts, which take away the life, liberty, or property of particular named persons because the legislature thinks them guilty of conduct which deserves punishment. They intended to safeguard the people of this country from punishment without, punishment without trial by duly constituted courts. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment was obviously written with those who served in the Confederacy's military or government in mind. If ex-Confederates had previously taken an oath to support the U.S. Constitution and then engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution, they were automatically disqualified from having served from serving in any federal or state office. There was an escape hatch. Congress could, by a vote of two two-thirds of each chamber remove the disqualification. Unless Trump has a time machine at his disposal, he was not an insurrectionist or rebel during the Civil War. Dun, dun, dun. Congress has the power under the 14th Amendment to enforce by appropriate legis legislation its provisions, but this authority does not override or amend the Constitution's Bill of Attainder Clause. What Congress can do is pass legislation criminalizing insurrection or rebellion, which is precisely what it has done. A violation of the law can result in fines, imprisonment, and disqualification from holding any office under the United States.
Section 3 of the 14th Amendment would extend the penalty to also bar individuals convicted of insurrection or rebellion who had taken an oath to support the U.S. Constitution from holding a state government office as well. However, the 14th Amendment is disqualified. 14th Amendment's disqualification clause would kick in only if Trump is first convicted of insurrection or rebellion in a court of law with full due process. Moreover, it would be a complete travesty of justice to say the least if Trump is acquitted in the state in the Senate impeachment trial only to then be disqualified from public office anyway by a joint congressional resolution. There is a fundamental principle at stake here. The Dem- Democrats plotting yet another way to bar Donald Trump from holding any future office, future public office are seeking retribution against Trump by any means they consider necessary. They believe that the end justifies the means, but that is not how the U.S. Constitution works. It has guardrails against abuses of power that trample on the rights of individuals. The Trump haters' obsession with the former president is so intense that they would first abuse the constitutional impeachment process and then twist the 14th Amendment to prevent Trump from ever holding federal office again. This is an effort. This is an affront to the Constitution and to the right of voters to cast their votes on the candidates of their choice. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for that article. We do appreciate it. That is exactly something that these people need to be considering when we're talking about this. Um, because they were gonna they were gonna try and come for Trump for any reason. They were coming up. They had this laundry list. We reported. They've had a laundry list of reasons that they were gonna come for Trump. They had this whole laundry list. I think it was in one of the blogs that we have in uh, our blog. It was in one of the posts in our blog at QAholspodcast.com where we talked about this whole list that the Democrats had their you know their uh, their whipping boys put together that, um, you know, talked about uh, what they could possibly be um, be able to impeach Trump for. And there's a whole list of things. And we saw some, we even saw one of them play out. We were, we're seeing one play, of it, play out now, you know, um, which was that he had disrupted an election and incited a riot. I think they were going to try and use disrupt election, but they couldn't because there was too much evidence against them to use such a foibold. Now that is an affront. Now, next article we have for you guys today is a follow-up Friday article. This article is actually, believe it or not, dun, 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 from QAndAholes.com. Now, we had a request on a follow-up from Sheila Jackson Lee. Now, Sheila Jackson Lee, who in the article at QAndAholes.com, we jokingly report her as Pedo Jackson Lee because she is that uh, famous uh, Texas Democrat from Houston, 18th District who uh, was uh, photographed wearing a boy lover diamond triangle ring on her finger. So sometimes we call her Pedo Jackson Lee. If you go over to the blog at qandaholes.com, qandaholespodcast.com, you can see a photo of it alongside with the, uh, alongside with examples of jewelry of boy lover, you know, uh, boy lover uh boy lover triangle jewelry 
which uh, which she is wearing. She's been there since 1995. Miss Sheila Jackson Lee, one of our listeners, wanted a follow up because she was concerned about the gun laws whenever we talked about that. And so she was like, what's the bill number? And uh, I need to know more because I am directly affected by this. And I was like, oh, well, let me see what we can do for you. We know that Sheila Jackson Lee likes to wear pedo art. She likes to wear pedo art. So um, back in 1995, I guess that was all the rage. She probably was away on... She was probably away at a fabulous weekend on, you know, Jeffrey Epstein's uh, uh, Little St. James Island. And they were probably at the beach. And it was probably a great day. They probably had an open bar. They probably had, you know, they probably had a, a fun day at the beach. They're probably swimming, playing volleyball, drinking, having cocktails, having having a slice of pizza here and there. Maybe uh, I guess hot dog would have been more of a Peter Jackson Lee style since she she's a little boy lover, and uh, she would have had she would have had a few hot dogs, you know. At, at Jeffrey Epstein's island, and then and then they and then on the way on the way back in, like they passed like you know the little like little island stands, like even on Jeffrey Epstein's island, I bet you they had like little island stands where they sell little knickknacks. It's like I went to Jeffrey Epstein's island, but all I got was his T-shirt, and I got like this you know Jeffrey Epstein magnet. I got a I got a Lolita Express magnet. I got I got a Hawaiian pizza magnet. Believe you me, that one's the funnest. And uh, I also bought this, uh, you know, boy lover triangle diamond ring while I was in. She's all, I also bought this boy lover diamond triangle diamond ring while I was away in uh, Little St. James there. Because I like to take uh, my holidays on Little St. James. I'm, uh, you, you know, I work hard as a representative for these inner cities. I, Sheila Jackson Lee, and I like my little boy lover triangle diamond rings. Now leave me alone. That's Sheila Jackson Lee. So, okay, Miss Sheila Jackson Lee. Let's see what this article has to say in regards to, uh, m- the article is entitled Representative Sheila Jackson Lee Wants Your Guns. Democrat representative of the 18th District in Texas, Sheila Jackson Lee, has introduced a bill to the House that seeks to make a registry of gun owners, but also to restrict the ability to purchase firearms based on purchasers association. H.R. 127 would require all Americans to have would require all Americans to have to register their firearms to include purchase and possession of ammunition. The resolution would require government notification to lend one's firearm to another and also require a psychological evaluation to own a firearm. While you can read the uh, House resolution at congress.gov and the body of the text is published in full at the end of this article, Sheila Jackson Lee's unconstitutional legislation is partly dissected below. And then it goes on to show uh, sections that require all gun owners to register their firearms with the federal government, sections that would authorize a database of gun owners that is accessible by all members of the public, 
All federal, state, and local law enforcement authorities, all branches of the United States Armed Forces, and all state and local governments as defined by the Bureau. It also requires firearm purchasers to be 21 years of age, have a background check and a psychological evaluation, complete mandatory firearm training, as well as have valid insurance. This section mandates antique firearms must be registered. Um, there's a section that, of H.R. 127 requires a psychological evaluation of the purchaser as well as a psychological evaluation of household members as well as a submittal of character references. Um, there's a section that would permit for the denial of firearm ownership on the grounds of hospitalization for any mental illness, disturbance or diagnosis, addiction or brain disease. Um, and a portion that also prohibits ammunition of 50 caliber or greater and um, high capacity ammunition feeding ammunition feeding devices. Sheila Jackson Lee, Democrat of Houston, Texas, has been a proponent of gun control for a long time. This lifetime politician, this coup party trader, who has committed acts of sedition and treason, has attempted to introduce this bill in the past. She has also been for restricting certain types of guns and ammunition, having conveniently mistaken an AR-15's ammunition for a 50 caliber bullet. Also, as in response to this... Almost as if in response to this, Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, has talked about making the state of Texas a sanctuary state for the Second Amendment. So there you have it. That is Miss Pedo Jackson Lee herself. And she has not missed a beat on continuing to pass this vile, serpentine, satanic legislation of these people that want to take away the basic freedoms, if not all the freedoms of the American people, may they be stopped from doing what they're doing. Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? Get the chilling new novella by Michael Aaron Cassidis, author of The Distance to the End. A Trick of the Eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get A Trick of the Eyes anywhere books are sold, online or in stores, ask for it by name. A Trick of the Eyes by Michael Aaron Casares. All right, just a few more stories and we'll wrap up the news for this evening here at the Sea Report. I hope you guys have been having a good time and I thank you again for hanging out with us on a Friday night. If you are indeed listening to this on a Friday night, you know, but anyways, you know, you know, make sure you go to uh, QAholspodcast.com. 
check us out over there. Uh, we have uh, blogs and we have other things over there. We have some videos. You could see Q&A Host Podcast, the flagship um, podcast for the E6W Network. Uh, you know, alongside with what I mentioned, I think, uh, the head or the tail of this episode. Uh, you know, you can see other programming from us, including uh, another show that I'm part of, Mr. C and Magadon Show, on Thursday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, as well as... Q&A Holes News Break with Joe One of Two, Monday through Friday on the E6W Network with Q&A Holes Podcast and Q&A, Hole po- Q&A Holes Podcast flagship show. Call in Wednesday and Saturdays on Twitch. Talk to Mr. W and Mr. Y and myself or just hear us blather on and attempt to stay on topic, which sometimes can be a challenge for guys like us. Um, it's a fun time over at Q&A Holes Podcast. Join us on our Discord. Get to us on Patreon. Support Q&A's, Q&A Holes Podcast by supporting us on Patreon or or by any means, honestly. Um, you support the C-Report. You support Joe One of Two over at the Q&A Holes Newsbreak. You support the websites. You support uh, allowing members like us to go out to do, uh, you know, in-person reports. Um as we have done in the past, uh, we're a growing network of, um, you know, friends and, uh, and, and, um, would be, (laughs) would be news reporters, but I am just a layman to be frank and I'm not afraid to say it, but anyway, so getting back into the news so we can wrap it up for the evening. We have a president-select, the illegitimate president of the United States of America, back at it again. How Biden is allowing Chinese government to quietly creep onto U.S. college campuses. Now, what you might notice, ladies and gentlemen, as we go through the Sea Report throughout the week, throughout the nights, throughout the days, throughout the months, and, and who knows, maybe eventually it will turn into years. I don't know who's to say. But... The theme that has been growing here, even since President Trump was sitting, optically speaking, in the president's office at the White House on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I almost said Philadelphia. But we're seeing how with all of this, China really is moving a hand here that we're not really paying attention to now everyone remembers the olympics when china hosted it or you know they had all of those people come out and they were marching they're like even though they suck at fighting by the sheer volume of the chinese army they will win they will just throw themselves at you until you know the bodies like stop the bullets from the person that attacks the soldier like they'll just like just They'll just like they'll just like death drop on you. These Chinese soldiers will, and there's a lot of them. Like, could you imagine if they just dropped them out by the truckload from the sky, by the blimp load? The Chinese soldiers fell from the heavens onto the American snipers, or something of that nature. So, but now, so China is a real theme here. Everything really is made in China. China. And so we have to play, pay close attention because even as Mike Lindell's movie Absolute Proof shows, 
a lot of the election interference that was actually targeting the five states in question, if not the entire race, were from China by IP address location and all of that, you know, all of that crypto science uh, computer hacking that they were doing. I don't know what any of that is, but, you know, that just that is proof positive that there was election interference by foreign inter you know by foreign objects <laughs> i mean come on people like hello like wake up like why are you not awake yet why are you keeping us in this flux let me read this article about how biden is allowing chinese government to quietly creep onto U.S. college campuses. Now, here's the thing. The Chinese have been infiltrating for years. Like, not only are they stealing our patents, not only are they stealing our ideas, not only are they making mocks of our technology, not only are they making mocks of our software and our hardware, not only are they stealing all of that creative license, all of that, like, intellectual property, not only are they doing that, but now they are infiltrating. They've bought up property in the United States. They've bought up businesses. They own Hollywood, basically, you know, and now they've been infiltrating our universities and our schools. And now president-select, the illegitimate president of the United States, wants to take that away. A provision that President Trump put in that required schools to report when they were accepting donations from Chinese-funded institutions. So let's see what this report says. The Department of Homeland Security has dropped plans for a federal rule that would have required American schools and universities to disclose agreements with Chinese government-funded Confucius Institutes on their campuses. A federal register notice said the rule, first proposed December 31st at the end of the Trump administration, was withdrawn January 26th without comment. Confucius Institutes and Confucius Schools operate as education centers that ostensibly teach Chinese cultures and language. Federal authorities, however, say the institutes are stalking horses for covert Chinese government influence efforts. Senator Marco Rubio, Florida Republican, said the institutes engage in covert influence operations designed to sway American public opinion and teach half-truths about China. Under pressure from Trump's administration, scores of the institutes were closed. For years, I raised the alarm about the threat posed by Chinese government-run Confucius Institutes. And the FBI has warned that the Communist Party uses these entities to infiltrate American schools, Mr. Rubio told Inside the Ring. President Trump and his administration took a positive step in mandating schools and universities to close their partnerships with these agents of Chinese government influence that President Biden would undo this important action is deeply disturbing. Mr. Rubio said that by failing to hold China accountable for running foreign influence operations, the Biden administration is calling into question its stated commitment to maintain a policy that treats China as a strategic competitor and protects American interests and values from its malign influence. Representative Michael T. McCall of Texas, the ranking Republican of the United States Foreign Affairs Committee, said the institutes pose security threats to the education system. 
By quietly backing away from the proposed rule without consulting Congress, the Biden administration is sending a concerning signal about its scrutiny of Chinese influence in academia and telling academic institutions that they don't need to be transparent about their ties to China's regime, Mr. McCall said. A State Department official told Inside the Ring Wednesday the reports that the Biden administration had pulled the draft rule were misleading. The Office of Management and Budget under Mr. Trump failed to complete a review of the rule prior to January 20th, the official said, leaving it stuck in OMB's interagency review on Inauguration Day. White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain ordered a freeze of all regulatory processes that day, automatically resulting in the withdrawal of rule targeting the Confucius Institutes. The Biden administration will treat Confucius Institutes as part of our overall approach of how best to respond to China's use of information operations and other coercive and cooperative efforts to undermine and interfere the democracies, the official said. The proposed rule was recommended in a 2019 report by the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee in a staff report. The report said the institutes were paying universities and schools hundreds of thousands of dollars to serve as hosts. FBI Director Christopher A. Ray said in 2018 that the Bureau was monitoring the Confucius Institutes over concerns that they were being used for propaganda and espionage. Some FBI investigations were linked to the Institutes, he said. We do share concerns about the Confucius Institute, he told a Senate hearing. We've been watching that development for a while. It's just one of many tools that they take advantage of. A Chinese government official, Louis Zongshan, was arrested in October 2019 on federal visa fraud charges related to the recruitment of American technology experts. The Justice Department criminal complaint in the case revealed that Mr. Liu used a Confucius Institute at a U.S. university as part of the recruitment scheme. It was the first time a federal criminal case was linked to one of the Chinese institutes. The State Department last year designated the headquarters of the Confucius Institutes in Washington as a foreign mission, a label that recognizes the Institute as entities of the Chinese government. That, designates, that designation remains in place. In December, then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo also spoke out against the Institutes and urged universities to shutter the centers. The more than 100 Confucius Institutes on U.S. campuses contributed to the current left-leaning campuses that Mr. Pompeo said are rife with anti-Americanism and present and present easy targets for their anti-American messaging. The State Department has made very clear that these Confucius Institutes are literally up to no good, said Mr. Pompeo, noting that many have been recognized as problems and are closed. China's government has funded American universities to the tune of $1.3 billion since 2013, Mr. Pompeo said. In July, then-Attorney General William P. Barr also criticized the activities of the Confucius Institutes, noting that they have been confusing of pressuring hosts' universities to silence discussions or cancel events on topics considered controversial by Beijing. 
Universities must stand for each other. Refuse to let the Chinese Communist Party dictate research efforts or suppress diverse voices. Support colleagues and students who wish to speak their minds. And consider whether any sacrifice of academic integrity or freedom is worth the price of appeasing the CCP's demands, Mr. Barr said. Okay, guys, I'm sorry. I apologize. I couldn't help it. Okay, y'all may have noticed since the last episode, which was session A of this, the C report on Friday, February 12th, um, I was doing these weird voices with some of the senators. I was just, I was, I was just using my creative license with these, uh, uh, with these senators. And I was like, when I get to Billiam Barr, good old Bill Barr's vocal part, like, what should I do? Should I give him like a slug voice or what? Anyways, Bill Barr, the good old B2 booby bomber. Big old boob bomber there. Big old Bill Barr, the boob bomber. <laughs> yep, B2, more like a 4D. Anyways, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't, I've never even tried a sports bra. I have no desire to. Next story, U.S. Marshals ICE reevaluate operations on sex offenders after Biden deportation freeze. This from Mimi Nigunian Lee. The U.S. Marshals Service and the Immigration and Customs Enforcement are working to reevaluate enforcement operations on sex offenders after a recent executive order issued by President Joe Biden. According to our Sex Offender Investigations Branch Chief, the USMS is working with ICE to reevaluate upcoming enforcement operations to ensure compliance with recent executive orders issued by POTUS. The USMS told the Epic Times in an email statement, Jessica Vaughn, Director of Policy Studies of the Center of Immigration Studies, asserted in an article published Wednesday, ICE had been planning a nationwide operation in partnership with the U.S. Marshals targeting at-large sex offenders, but it was scuttled by the news directive. Acting DHS Secretary Dave Pekoski had issued the new directive on January 20th in response to Biden's executive order, which revoked former President Donald Trump's executive order 13768 signed in 2017. Trump's executive order had, in part, ordered the Department of Homeland Security, which oversees ICE, to prioritize the removal of illegal aliens who have been convicted of any criminal offense or charged with any criminal offense where the charge has not been resolved. The new DHS directive under Biden administration had also imposed a 100-day pause on deportation starting on January 22nd for certain illegal aliens who were ordered to leave pending the completion of a review of immigration enforcement policies. A federal judge temporarily blocked the order for 14 days on January 26th, a victory for Texas, whose attorney general sued the Biden administration over the executive order. In the directive, the DHS said it would, during the deportation freeze, be prioritizing in part 
individuals incarcerated within the federal, state, and local persons and jails released on or after the issuance of this memorandum who have been convicted of an aggravated felony as that term is defined in Section 101A43 of the Immigration and Nationality Act at the time of conviction and are determined to pose a threat to public safety. So there you see, you still have more pushback on President-select, the illegitimate President of the United States, Joe Biden. Hashtag illegitimate Joe, who uh, here you see he's still getting pushback because all of these make sense, common sense rules were put into place and laws were being and policies were being put into place by President Trump and his administration. All of these things that would have made sense, common sense from the jump with any administration if they had done it, you know, and now... For them to pull back on it, it's like, this is so good. Like, everything this man touched was gold. It was so good. Why on earth are you going to undo something that's not broken unless there's political motivation or there's gains for something else or for someone else, rather, and that someone else is not the American people? And that's something to think about. All right, and uh, we'll be wrapping up this Friday B session with the C report here over at QAholespodcast.com with um, uh, stories for Pedophile Friday. Pedophile Friday. I pick these stories up over at the QA Holes news desk with uh, Joe One of Two. He's our uh, our news manager over at Kano, Q&A Holes Podcast. Excuse me. Uh, so I was like, hey, Joe, did you happen to do a report on these? Because I hadn't heard his report for today. So um, he was like, no, I hadn't because uh, they're kind of lengthy. So we're going to go ahead and uh, talk about this now. I think and I, I'm pretty sure Joe feels the same way. It's important to keep these stories uh, front of mind or at least always always give some room for it to be discussed uh room for discussion because uh when we don't talk about things even as gruesome as some of the things that we're going to talk about uh coming up in the next two stories um i think it's important that we have to recognize that these things still do happen and regardless of how gruesome they are and how much we don't want to um, um, admit to its uh, existence or its actuality, which is its eventuality, we need to make sure that um, we can confront it head on. And the only way to confront that head on is to understand that it does happen. And the only way we could know what to do about it is to know about the situations so that this way, if these situations arise, we can understand how to better handle it. So this first story comes from DailyMail.com. Stanford Children's Hospital pediatrician, 33 years old, is arrested in pedophile sting after showing up to meet an underage girl he'd sent porn to and uh, being met by cops instead. So you see, that's the thing that I'm talking about. What is up with all of these young men? Because Joe had also, uh, well, there was that story that Joe shared on his uh, Q&A Holes News break in regards to the uh, Republican staffer. I mean, okay, like, am I supposed to feel guilty 
because I'd say um, he's cute. Like I'd probably date him. But this guy wanted to. You have to read the story. It's it's really bad. Like it's really bad. Like this guy, this millennial. Had control issues. He was in his 20s. Like, what is up with that? That blew my mind. That's why I say, what's up with all of these young guys being into this weird young, like, pedo stuff? Anyway, so this guy's 33. And should I feel bad for saying that I didn't think this guy was half bad looking either? Like, you know, back growing up and even up to, like, maybe a few years ago when I thought about a pedo, a pederist, a pedophile. I thought of someone who was like old and like, you know, decrepit and, and toothless. Or I thought of like, you know, a fat old ho- uh, holly jolly man or something like that. Uh, I never thought of a woman and I never thought of a young man who's in the prime of his life. Who could probably go do whatever he wants with his body. And yet he chooses to do these things with children. Anyways, the Daily Mail reports a pediatrician at Stanford Children's Hospital has been arrested after trying to arrange a date with police officers who are posing as an underage girl and sending them explicit photos. Dylan O'Connor, 33, was arrested after arranging to meet up with the girl for sex in Redwood City, California, police said. He had also sent her explicit photographs, they said. It's unclear if they were of him or someone else, but the cops said they were pornographic. He was taken into custody on charges of sending harmful material to a juvenile and traveling to meet a minor for lewd purposes, which are both felonies. Redwood City Police started investigating him after receiving a tip from San Jose Police Department about O'Connor. The officers posed online as the girl and told him she was underage, but he still arranged to meet for them. He still arranged to meet them for sex, they said. On Friday, O'Connor drove to an address where he'd arranged to meet the girl, but was instead greeted by police officers and arrested immediately. His bio has been removed from San, uh, from Stanford Children's Hospital's website. O'Connor arranged to meet the girl for sex and also sent her pornographic images. He was arrested at home where he planned to meet her and was greeted by cops. In a statement, a spokesperson said he'd ha- he'd been barred from his job. Upon learning for learning of Dr. O'Connor's arrest, Stanford immediately placed him on unpaid administrative leave and relieved him of all duties. These are serious criminal charges, which we understand are still under investigation by law enforcement, so we are unable to comment further at this time, a spokesperson said. The police officers also raided his home. They are now looking for other potential victims, they said. It's unclear if O'Connor is married. Public records list his address as a three-bedroom home in Redwood City worth around $2 million. All right, another pedo bites the dust. Go, boys. This one comes from The Pillar. And this is the U.S., the United States bishops under abuse or cover-up investigation. The Ark 
Archdiocese of Kansas City announced Monday that Bishop John Brungart of Dodge City, Kansas, has been accused of committing sexual abuse against a minor. The bishop has denied the allegation, which is being investigated by the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. Archbishop Joseph Nauman of Kansas City has been charged with investigate, investigating the allegation on behalf of the Vatican under the protocols of Vos Estis Lux Mundi, a 2019 policy from Pope Francis on allegations against bishops. Unlike some bishops under investigation for sexual abuse, Brungart, 62, has taken a leave of absence from the Dodge City Diocese while the matters is investigated. Brungart is one of, the, one of at least 10 bishops to come under publicly known investigation in the United States since 2018. Here are the others. Theodore McCarrick Laocese's former member of the College of Cardinals, accused in June 2018 of sexually abusing a minor, subsequently accused of sex serially sexually abusing other minors, seminarians, and young priests, after a penal process undertaken by the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, McCarrick was laicized in February 2019. So keep your eyes out for Theodore McCarrick. Bishop Michael Bransfield, retired bishop of Wheeling, Charleston, West Virginia. Bishop Michael Bransfield of West Virginia, Wheeling, Charleston. When, when Bransfield retired as diocesan, diocesan bishop in, in September 2018... Pope Francis ordered an investigation into allegations of sexual abuse and harassment against the bishop, along with financial misconduct. The investigation undertaken by Baltimore's Archbishop William Lurie found considerable evidence the bishop had serially sexually harassed seminarians and young priests for decades and sexually coerced or assaulted some of them along with other adults. Bransfield was also found to have abused alcohol and prescription medication and spent hundreds of thousands of Dacian funds on personal expenses and gifts. The bishop is prohibited from public sacramental ministry and is directed to make financial restitution to his former diocese. The bishop was also ordered to apologize, but he has not taken personal responsibility for his misconduct and denies any sexual misconduct. Bishop Joseph Hart, retired Bishop of Cheyenne, Wyoming. After facing numerous allegations of sexual abuse of minors in 1989, 1992, 2002, and 2004, a canonical penal process against Hart was ordered by Pope Francis in June 2019. In January 2021, it was announced that Hart had been canonically tried but not convicted for several allegations of sexually abusing minors. At least one allegation reported to the Vatican has not yet been tried, while Hart, 89, remains a cleric, he is restricted from nearly all public ministry and contact with minors. Bishop Robert Guglielmone, Bishop of Charleston, South Carolina, 
In August 2019, the Vatican authorized a preliminary investigation into allegations that Guglielmo Monet, 75, committed acts of sexual abuse while he was a priest in the New York in the 1970s. The bishop denied the allegations. He remained in ministry, con- uh, ministry during a Vatican investigation, which concluded in December 2020 with the conclusion that the allegations against Guglielmo Monet lacked the semblance of truth. The bishop who submitted his resignation to Pope Francis when he reached the retirement age of 75 in December remains in ministry and the Pope has not accepted his resignation. He is being sued civilly for alleged abuse in New York State. Bishop Nicholas DiMarzio, Bishop of Brooklyn. In January 2020, Cardinal Timothy Dolan was directed by the Vatican to conduct an investigation into allegations that DiMarzio, 76, sexually abused a male student, a minor, in, 19, in the 1970s. DiMarzio has since been accused of sexually abusing another boy in 1979 and 1980. The bishop says he is innocent of any allegations of sexual abuse and has remained in office during the now year-long investigation into the charges. Now, a lot of these, the investigation is still ongoing, and there are also some bishops listed for having administrative negligence or cover-up in regards to some of these cases, and you can read more about that at The Pillar, and uh, this was posted uh, on the 9th of February, so not too long ago. So just keeping some spotlight on some of the things going on out there for those of you who are aware, who are not concerned or who are concerned. Uh, but there are these um, pedophiles, kitty diddlers is the code word that we would use on YouTube because we were getting banned on YouTube for using the word pedophile and pedo because, of course, that was something that QAnon created. And so if you believe that you are a conspiracy theorist, we all know that's just a bunch of bubkis because, uh, I mean, it's true. And, and that's why it's true, because I said it's true just like that, just like Joaquin Castro. He's like, he's lying. Trump is lying. He has this big lie. Like, everyone knows it's a lie. Like, Castro is one of those people that uses everyone against you. Like, he uses the world against you. You know? And and that, to me, that kind of logic, to me, is the same kind of logic that someone tells you about the world when they've never even been outside of the city that they live in. But they will tell you that this is how everyone is in the world. That's the same kind of logic this is to me. But don't let me be long-winded. Thank you for joining us on an ep- another episode of The Sea Report. Tell us how we're doing. Make comments below. Go to the Q&A holes podcast.com. Leave us comments there. Let us know. Join us on Wednesday and Saturday. Call in. And uh, give us your thoughts. Tell us what you think about the current state of America. Tell us what you think about the elections. Tell us what you think about this impeachment. We're not shy and we hope you're not either. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you again on Monday with the Sea Report and with Q&A Holes News Break. If you're looking for Q&A Holes Podcast.com on the weekend, we will have the call-in show on Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. Go to the website, Q&A Holes Podcast.com for more details. This is Mr. C signing out. Have a great evening.